I mean, you learn a lot along the way with construction and, you know, like the things that really hit you like sewer, foundation, roof, electrical, plumbing that not a lot of people talk about, but it is probably the most costly thing that you don't really get paid for. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth. But why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. All right, welcome to another episode of the Brenneman Blueprint. Have Jonathan Barr with JB2 Investments on the podcast today. Excited for today's episode. Jonathan's got a, uh, a interesting angle on how he's doing multifamily investing, kind of similar to some of the stuff uh, I've done. So I definitely resonated with me. So happy to have him on. So welcome, Jonathan. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I think, why don't we just get right into it? I mean, why don't you tell us maybe how you got to where you're at today investing in, in multifamily? Yeah. Um, so I started in 09 after the last, uh, the GFC. Um, and my family had been flipping homes since basically the eighties. And so I graduated college in 08, couldn't find a job. My mom said, come, come work with us. I reluctantly went to do that because who wants to work with their parents? Um, and we started almost immediately going to the foreclosure auctions and buying homes that way. And we got to a point where we're buying eight homes a month. We bought about 400 homes in LA that we flipped over a 10 year period. A lot of them coming from those auctions and REOs. Um, and during that 10 year period, I also I bought a few duplexes in good parts of LA that I held over that 10 year period, which I've subsequently sold along with my brother, who's my partner in the current business. He sold some of his properties and we exchanged that into properties in the Midwest. The first one was in 2019 in Kansas City. Forex, uh, my my cash flow I was making before, and then we kind of just started building from there and then eventually started raising money from others as well. Nice. And so then originally, I guess, so getting into the, 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 your, your, the family business with flipping, that was, you, you didn't want to do that. What were you thinking you wanted to do maybe back in 2008? I mean, I, I think I, it wasn't terrible. It's a constant grind. You're, you're going to projects all the time. There's we were doing mostly gut jobs. So tons of surprises, things coming up. It also just started kind of drying up with REOs drying up and just like less deals being, being there. And at the same time, I was, I was looking at these duplexes that were kind of adding up and starting to pay for like my livelihood. Um, and then I started to see what the value of it was. And, and I saw that if I sold these duplexes, I would actually make more money than the 10 years previously I'd made through the flips of my share of the profits. And I was like, I was like, okay, I got to keep doing this. Yeah. Through on one duplex or on all three, that was, that eclipsed your share of the 
Yeah, to 400 all three. Flips. All three. Wow. Yeah, not just one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I but, did pretty well doing that too, but it still was like an aha moment. I was involved with 400 flips, yet I made more, making more money off three properties. Yeah, that's really telling. And I mean, because especially, yeah, somewhere like LA, I mean, a lot of the return, I mean, returns going to be from appreciation and holding on to the properties where then, yeah. I mean, flips you're doing, you're able to push a lot of value quickly, but then oftentimes you got like hard money loans and maybe partners or something that's, you know, got their hand in it too. Yeah. And, and another thing too, is like, I watch people resell our flip for, and make more money than we did just by holding <laughs> it for three, four years, you know? Yeah. I know. And I, I was like, I, I we totally... went through all this hell and these people just live in it for a few years and make more money than us. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I know. So, yeah, someone. Uh, yeah. So then if you feel like what what mistakes did you make during that time? Um, if 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 you will, like, because I guess what comes to mind, I'm often when people ask me that I usually say like, oh, I sold I sold it. And I didn't roll the money forward to another deal like that's So that's when I thought of that, where it's like, um, especially if that money didn't make its way into another deal, then that's yeah, that's tough. I mean, to see we were someone. always rolling that money into other deals. Uh, nice mistakes um i think the only mistake that i really did that comes to mind is at the auctions we bought a second and had a big loss on one of the properties so that was one of the big mistakes a second lien a second mortgage position yeah a second when we thought we were buying a fort first so that we took a big hit oh, wow. that there but one out of 400 that's not terrible i mean just you learn a lot along the way with construction and you know, like the things that really hit you, like sewer, foundation, roof, electrical, plumbing, that not a lot of people talk about, but it is probably the most costly thing that you don't really get paid for. Yeah. yeah. Like if, you're, if your sewer is broken in the street, how much does that cost to open up the street and do in, in LA? At least 10 grand. It could be more. Yeah. You know, Chicago. 15, I've, yeah. I've done it on a couple, like six to eight units and there's 15 grand on one and almost 20 on another. Yeah, that's so, yeah. not unusual for LA either. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And nobody thinks about that. They just assume it's yeah. working. <laughs> and, and the tenant <laughs> or not. a buyer on the buyer end is like, oh, I got a new sewer. I mean, it, it does it definitely helps if they know that, but you're not getting that money back necessarily. <laughs> yeah. I don't think on a sewer, at least I bought a house, the one that I lived in, and the water line was brand new, which I thought was great, you know, because then we had a new copper pipe. But your sewer, yeah, I don't really care on how new that. You know, as long as it's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as the, yeah. As the homeowner. Um, but yeah, that's no, that's interesting. Cause then I guess too, like a lot of that, those flips, then you guys were paying uh, just full ordinary income tax on, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's another part. Like I was taking some pretty big tax hits when now I basically don't pay taxes because of the longer term hold and depreciation and accelerated depreciation and all that. Like, I didn't even know accelerated depreciation existed till I started getting into the multifamily world. Nice. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you tell us about that? You usually depreciate the property over 27 and a half years, which uh, and basically gives you a paper loss to offset some of that income on a yearly basis. But with accelerated depreciation, you could accelerate a lot of that depreciation in the first year, probably 20, 30% of it. And usually that will create a loss and you can use those losses to offset future income or other income if you're a real estate professional. Yeah. And, and if I'm, you have, I'm and, not a CPA, but 
There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Everybody consult your own CPA. Neither of us are. And, but we're yeah. both, uh, you know, banking a lot, of, a lot of paper losses, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. I know I am. So for sure. I mean, it's going down a little bit, but we'll see what happens with that. The, the, what's going down the, the bonus depreciation. Yeah. But even, you know, even the regular depreciation schedule, I mean, on most deals, if you're, you know, have a, like a fully levered deal, you know, 70% LTV or something. I mean, most of those for me, they're still not kicking off any taxable income, even if we didn't do a cost seg to accelerate. So that's, yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great insight. How did you make the transition then it's going from uh, the single families to, um, to the multifamilies? What did, what did that look like? Uh, yeah. So I own those duplexes and then in, I think it was late 2017, I traveled to Kansas City with my wife because she has family out there. And I I was obviously bored looking at deals. (laughs) What real estate guy doesn't do that? Um, Started like doing some back of the napkin math. I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is like the return on this is really good. I could like three, four, five X like my cash flow and then started talking to brokers and probably 2018 started actually looking at properties and by 2019 actually sold one of those duplexes and exchange into a 14 unit which was the first deal and went from making i think 12 1500 a month to making 5000 a month and that thing's continued to perform really well and i think i'm making like 12% cash on cash on that property from the movie money i moved from one place to the other yeah, and if you look at the cash on cash and what the original money I put into that first duplex, it's it's probably astronomical. I, I haven't actually calculated that, but it's probably insane. Yeah, uh, like I've I know I know what you're talking about when you're looking at that the initial down payment on the first deal after you've ro- rolled it a couple times. Yeah, yeah it could be a hundred percent plus the way you're talking per year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and and then that turned into our first deal in Oklahoma in 2020 which uh, we actually exchange into that. And we actually subsequently sold that one and exchange into another property, which was 30 years newer. And we hit like a 60% IRR on that. Just good nice. timing in the market. And a good uh, that property was in Norman, Oklahoma, where we have most our, like a good chunk of our portfolio now is in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, close to the University of Oklahoma. And so we bought that one and then we bought a few more. And those first couple though, we basically did mostly our own money and like a couple friends. And then the next one was more other people's money. And we kind of kind of built from there. Nice. And in terms of just the geography, I think you said the first one was in Kansas City. Yep. And then uh, what was, what would be the, what do you think the cap rate was on that? If you remember on that first deal you bought in Kansas City. Uh, it's 2018. It probably roughly. like a seven cap. Okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually bought it flipped to me. Like they did all the plumbing and they did all the electrical, all the HVAC, did all the insides. I think the only thing I had to do later was do some roof work. But it, and that's been huge because all the systems are redone. So I haven't had like that thing runs so lean because I haven't had any major surprises. Yeah. And then what kind of debt did you do on that, uh, on that one? That was a CMBS. Um, three years I owe, 10 years, uh, 10 year loan. Um, at the time the rates were a little bit higher, but it's still lower than what it is today. You know, I think, I think the rate on that's like 4.8. 
somewhere around there. Yeah, tw- 2017, yeah, rates were started out in the low fours. And then eventually by 2018, I remember them being in the fives. And I was so painful. I did some refis in the fives in 2018. And uh, <laughs> I wish I could yeah, have that rate right now. Yeah, it doesn't feel so painful, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, I wish I could have the rate right now. Um, but yeah, yeah that's... Um, and then do you still own that or that was one of the, that was the one that yeah, you, that, that okay, original 14 U, unit, I actually still own. Yeah. So then when that three-year loan uh, matured, what did, what did you do? No, oh, it's three years interest only. And then 10, it was a 10 year loan, the first three years interest only. So I still have the same loan. I mean, eventually maybe refi and take a little bit of cash out and interest and get a new interest only period. But I'm not going to do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so then look, roughly speaking, then what would, what's your strategy on these, um, multifamily ones just to like draw out the whole idea here is a lot of times I hear people, they're talking about, you know, it's a three year hold or, you know, five year hold or, and you're talking more about cash flow and tax efficiency. And this is why one of the main things I want to talk about, because what you're talking about now is how a lot of the owners that I know that don't have any investors talk where they, they don't know what their IRR is, but they know they bought the deal for like 500,000 in 1994 and it's worth 5 million and they've already pulled out, you know, uh, millions and they don't, you know, they don't, uh, care to sell necessarily. So what's sort of your, your, your plan with, with these, would you say? Yeah, we're kind of longer term, term holders, but we will sell if it's a older, older vin- vintage, or we just feel like it's a strategic time to sell that and hopefully roll that money over into another deal. We are in the process of selling something right now, but I think on that one, we might take the tax hit just because I'm just not seeing anything interesting right now. Like I'd rather take a tax hit than buy something that's not a great deal. Yeah. And then on that one, you're selling, I think that one, uh, you own with, with your brother also with investors and folks or what's, how's that one? We have a good chunk of money in it and then we own with investors. So we'll, we'll see if we actually sell it. We're kind of in negotiations right now. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've looked into this, but on, uh, most of the deals that I've sold that we haven't done 1031s on, I had enough banked, uh, passive losses from the depreciation that I, I didn't Same. personally need to pay any. Yeah. So I try to not, I still want to do a 1031 for my partners and investors that don't have that situation. But for me personally, I don't think I've paid tax on the sale yet either. We've just had, I've just had so many losses, uh, banked. So yeah. you might be in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. The only tax I paid was the sale of my residence in California, the state of California. Cause a lot of the States don't recognize the accelerated depreciation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No yeah. surprise. And California does not. No. Interesting. Yeah. That's uh, I'm not surprised for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, but that's- <laughs> I was like, I mean, if you're paying uh, the other thing, the other way to look at it, if you are paying some tax, you're probably doing something right. You know? Yeah, no, I know. I, I want, I would like <laughs> to be in a spot where I have, you know, blown through all those losses and I've, you know, made so much that I am paying tax, but that's, it's almost hard to do if you're just going to acquire long-term rentals, which is our, you know, yeah. basically our businesses. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yep. where I've you know thought to myself, I need to start like a coaching program or something that would be printing money to ever, um, eclipse that. Um, but anyways, yeah, they, um, but I don't, yeah, I'm not really, uh, going that direction, but I think, yeah, it's um, not my cup of tea either. I'd yeah. rather just help people out for free here and there and just call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been doing too. I've saw some people where it's like, they're 
they're just printing money where it was wild when I saw the math on it, like eight figures a year kind of thing. Especially 21, 22, all these like real estate gurus or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> yeah, they were printing money for sure. Yeah, no, I know. So I, I didn't I didn't realize what was going on, to be honest, Jonathan, until about a month ago when I heard the numbers. And it's like, it's how much per person? And there's 400 people or a thousand in this. Like, OK, yeah, 30 um, to 50 grand, a lot of them uh-huh, per person. Yeah, which that. Yeah. So I, I was uh, not aware of that because. Um, so, yeah. So but I think just to, and how did you figure out not, not to, that it's um, all bad? You could easily make your money's worth if they save you from making a big mistake. But, you know, yeah. 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 I think as long as you can put it into action and you, and you need the info money well spent, no doubt. How did you figure out to look at the return on your, uh, equity based on the new value, what it had appreciated to versus just the cash you put in the deal. That was interesting. You mentioned that because most people don't talk about that. The, the return on my, my new equity or the original. Yeah. So let's say you put a, yeah, so let's say you put a hundred thousand down on a deal, but now it's appreciated. Yeah. You paid your loan down. You were talking about how you're looking at the return on the new amount, not the five, not the one hundred thousand on whatever the actual yeah, equity what, is now. What my actual equity is on the property? Yeah, I think when I was looking at selling, in particular on those duplexes, um, I was looking at, okay, yeah, I'm I'm making you know. 10% on my original cash, but now this property is worth 500,000 more. And now I'm making like two, 3% on that equity and I could move it to this other place and, and forex it. It just like made a lot of sense financially if, to look at it that way and keep on moving it. Not to say that's always the play to do, but I, I think when you start hitting that, like you're only making three, 4% on your equity, you got to start looking at kind of making some moves. Yeah, I was yeah, because it's interesting. Or I've looked at stuff the same way, but I again, I'm not. Or maybe I don't a refinance people. at that point, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I, and I know a guy who has a, uh, quite a few paid off properties now, and he, you know, just talks about how much he's making in total numbers. But then I'm thinking, yeah, but that's a five million dollar building with no debt on it. Like that's actually like a three percent. You know, it's like it's not more than three, but you know, that's like a low return. And, you know, it was like five or something when he said it. I'm like, that's not. I know it's a lot of money, a quarter million bucks, but not on five million in. So yeah, uh, exactly. So, but maybe that helps him sleep at night, and it does. And he's his own, you know. And he's <laughs> he's on the you know like backside of his career where he's retired, so it makes sense for him. But I was trying to explain that, and he was like, "Yeah, I understand. I you know, I get what you're saying. I just don't want to do it." Was basically the the response. But pretty, but I don't I don't really hear that talked about too much to like look at the return on the new the new money. Cause yeah, you're right. You know, you own that, let's say that first OKC deal, um, for 10 years, you, you know, you either, you know, could pull out a bunch of money on a refi or, you know, sell it and roll it into a bigger deal. Uh, and you're going to be looking at what's my return on this. Essentially, like if I were to sell it, like the money I'd get, like, is it enough to stay in the deal or should I, should I roll it? Like, it sounds like that's how you're going to be deciding that. Yeah. Maybe look at that value very conservatively because you don't know what actually you're going to get paid until you actually put it on the market. But if you have a pretty good idea maybe take a discount of that and then base it off that then it could it could make sense to kind of evaluate it that way yeah i've even factored it in with uh potential sale costs and uh you know um not taxes yeah. but at least the sale costs just go like you know truly this is what you'd be walking out the door with like is would that be a good return or not just staying in it and but the nice what so then what did the the next deals look like so we got the first one in uh 
I think I said OKC, but it's actually in Kansas City. And then um, yeah. the that, next one well, is in OKC, Norman. All right, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. And what what did that deal look like? That was uh, it was a seventy two unit deal that we bought in I think it was September twenty twenty. Uh, it was it more needed to be operated better. It was uh, like East coast, um, kind of had like 30,000 units and that was the, they're like one, like random one and they just weren't paying much attention to it. Uh, we also added a unit there and, and just kind of did some change branding and did a few things. And then we sold it in, uh, it was October of 2022 for, so we bought it for, I think 3.2 and we sold it for about 5.2, um, nice. two years later. So yeah, it was, it was great. And then we Brushed moved it. that money into a property we bought about a year ago, which was 30, 30 years newer in Norman as well. So that, that's actually an interesting like story. Yeah, that's an interest. And actually, that other property that we exchanged into was the same seller that we bought that original one from. So we made money off that deal and then bought another deal from them <laughs> with the money we made off them, I guess, sort of. I don't know. Well, yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. From the same East Coast group, they like, we have another yeah. one for sale. Okay. I like that. Yeah. No, that's. Yeah. But that helped us because they were familiar with us and we closed and they know we're serious and all that kind of stuff. But the funny thing is we put that one under contract um, and we knew we needed to get funds from somewhere. Like we, we knew we weren't going to be able to raise all the money just for that deal just because the reach we have or whatever. Um, and so we were like, we got a, they didn't give us, part of the contract wasn't that it was, like we had to sell that, but they knew that we were selling that to buy this. So they kind of gave us a really long escrow to kind of pull it off. And we put that on the market, got it sold, I think in like 60 days, closed three weeks before we had to close the other one, move the money over there. And, and it all kind of worked out. Um, so, and so the, the first deal you bought from them, was that the one that you sold once you were under contract on the second one from them? Or yes, you sold yes. two? Okay. I didn't know if you sold yeah. two deals there for a second. No, okay. just one. That one deal, we moved the money into that, this new deal, raised a little bit of money, um, and then closed on that one. Um, and then wow, between, yeah, you, what's that? I was going to say, you sold that deal fast. That's great. Yeah, uh, yeah, we it's a quick process. But on the market, it, it was it was a clean property. We got lucky and we had a 1031 buyer come in and just like was ready to close. And then between those two deals, we bought we've bought in two three more. Two ones in Norman, 118 units, and another one in OKC, 69 units, and then a 74 unit deal in Kansas City as well. So it's about we have about 420 units, 35 million in value sort of say around there um and yeah we the last year or so we haven't been that active just because the where the market is and also we had made a transition from uh old, from another management company to a new one and it, it got a little bit rough there and and operations operations dipped a bit so we were kind of focused on that as well yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Which kind of worked uh, out because there wasn't yeah. really much deals to be had anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know? it would be better to have not bought anything. So um, yeah, yeah, uh, it was, so was kind of good that we were forced to sort of not buy anything. Yeah, yeah, I was just explaining it to somebody where the last year has been tough not at bought, having bought anything. Um, you know, yeah. uh, it just seems like money's just going out the door. Um, but then it's like, but we would, you know, 
those weren't the deals to buy. But I think about now is the time. Um, so I was yeah, twenty twenty four is gonna be really interesting. You know, yeah, and I'm I mean, already seeing distressed deals and and things kind of popping up for sure. Yeah, because at this point, what would you? What are you looking for for new deals then? So it's still cash flow focused or now maybe a little bit more of a value add play just given the distress comment or what are you thinking i i think yeah a little bit more value add we're even looking like where my 14 unit is we've kind of started poking around doing just a smaller deal but doing it all cash and like doing everything doing all the systems the plumbing the electrical the roof like like obviously buy it at a price to make sense to make do all that um, just because with our current assets, one of the things that's made us struggle a little bit on some of the properties on operations is CapEx st stuff, surprises that have come up because some of it's older 70s product, for example, and like just plumbing stuff, HVAC, whatever. Um, and so focusing on either buying maybe something newer mo moving forward or buying something where we could actually like fix everything day one and not have to worry about that later have less surprises and like the return that we're expecting is is the return we're going to get because we're not going to have all these things come up yeah and and you'd be a, the person asked for this because of the renovation background too and what so then when you go to the these apartment buildings and what what are you looking at physically what do you think is important to be able to assess as a as a buyer I mean, we check the roofs, we check all the HVAC systems, we hire a professional inspection company to do a sample size of the units and we try to walk every unit ourselves. Um, and we've, we've been more strict on doing that in the past. We haven't walked every single unit, but it's like important, like we wanna document like, you know, in what condition all the units are in because what happens is when these units turn, we want to have an idea of what the turn cost is going to be. And there's no way to like completely 100% estimate that. But if we have a general idea, like, man, 50% of these units are wrecked, we're, we're going to have to really up our turn costs over the next few years. Um, and then scoping all the lines, um, and, you know, just generally walking it, checking the windows. I mean, we try to be really thorough, but you could be so thorough, but things are still going to come up no matter how thorough you are and you have to keep enough that I think that's something moving forward is if we ever, if we do end up buying anything newer, we're, we're definitely upping our CapEx dollars than we had allocated before, even though we had allocated a lot of money there, just, it, it, it was a little bit more than, than we thought. What would you think you would assume for some of the additional CapEx? How would you quantify that numbers wise? Because then a lot of people, the rule of thumb is $250 per unit per year. You're thinking that's that's not, not how reality is. They actually, they run higher than that and you would yeah, do something else? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fine, but also having probably at least a couple couple grand per door in reserve from the get-go on top and of that's just to okay it. yeah and that's just yeah. uh, that's sitting there for whatever capex comes up, comes up yeah. whether that's uh yeah. immediately or in year four it's just gonna sit there yep yeah while you're adding to it yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense i've uh, i mean i think a lot of the deals that we've owned and operated i mean they've all 
for the most part, the CapEx kind of non-recurring type expenses, those that's more than 250 units a door or sorry, $250 a unit. Um, I mean, I saw something where it was like a re like what they were operating at. It was over a thousand dollars a unit uh, for CapEx type stuff. And that would include like replacing appliances and, uh, you know, carpet and common area, you know, stuff. And so I think that's, you know, that, that's why that's as high to me, honestly. yeah. I know. That's what I tell people when they're like, yeah, the broker's got 200 a door in this for below the line. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, 500 minimum, I would, I'm, yeah. I, and usually I'm doing more than that. Like that's not, it's, and once you own it, you see how they, yeah. you know, how they run. It's funny. We both started laughing at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, and then what are you looking at, uh, when you first tour it? That's actually, um, I wanted to, wanted to ask that in terms of the physical condition, you know, are you, you're going to go, I want to see what's, uh, try to see what the plumbing, you know, uh, material is the drain. Same when we're under contract or before we're under contract. No, initial tour. Are you looking under the sink going, I want to see what's coming out of the, the, the wall or how, um, um, I don't, I wouldn't say we're that thorough but we try to walk as many units as we possibly can and potentially if it does if it looks like the property doesn't need to work bring a contractor with us and kind of poke around um but i think if maybe we're like in the best and final then maybe we dig a little bit more in that way and then obviously if we're under contract um and if we're going to do hard money which we rarely do then we'll do more up front as well but if we're not hard money and we have like a 30 day due diligence period, we'll just get right to it. Okay. Yeah. makes sense. Yeah. We've, uh, I try, if it's built like before 1990, try to look at the plumbing, what the plumbing is for water supply, drains, electrical, uh, windows, roof. And by just doing what I was saying, look under the sink, look what's coming out of the wall to the toilet. Uh, cause I mean, if it, let's say it's a deal that they did a nice renovation, but then they skipped, they never did the plumbing and you still have old galvanized pipes or cast iron drains that should have been replaced 20 years ago. I don't I don't want to waste like two minutes on that deal. It's just going to be a mess for somebody. And if, if it wasn't renovated, then fine, let's underwrite it as a gut renovation and, and see if it makes sense. But if they already did a cosmetic renovation, they're already getting solid rents and it's not going to make sense to go back and fix these things. And so those deals, I just, I just, I just pass on. I don't want to. Yeah. Um, or you allocate a lot of do- dollars to it, but then the price is not going to make sense. I never, I never get them. I've realized someone who doesn't, honestly, I feel like no how those things work yet. And they're like, yeah, it's renovation looks nice. Quartz counters. It's great. But they don't realize their electrical panels are the ones that catch on fire or the, um, you know, or their, their plumbing should have been switched out 20 years ago in 1990 and it's still being, you know, limped along. Like, so I just, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, we, we take a look at like if it has copper wiring, copper plumbing, what is, is the original cast iron, uh, the panels too, because for insurance, um, if you have like the Zinsco or the old school panels, you know, you're going to have to replace that. And we did that on one of the properties that we own. I actually flew my electrician, not flew. He actually drove, um, from LA to Oklahoma with his crew and shipped all the equipment to the property and had him do it. Cause it's actually faster and cheaper for me to do it that way. Yeah, that's interesting to hear that. I've, I'm not surprised. I did that with a painter that I had in Chicago. I sent him to another state where I was like, he can paint this hallway and this whole building so much cheaper that it's like, um, and you know, yeah. he wasn't asking to stay at the, a fancy hotel either. So we're all working. I mean, out. He, yeah. They stayed in the model unit 
We did, we didn't nice. even put him in the even hotel. <laughs> yeah, even better. Yeah. Just didn't have a model, so it was he. Yeah. Was, he would have to sleep in the hallway, and I, I don't think that's a good look. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. But yeah, that's a good. Um, but yeah, no, I figured you were looking at that stuff on the front end because I've I've learned now to just kind of if they did one of those, we'll call it cosmetic rehabs, where yeah, there's just always someone who's overlooking that. It seems like and are ones that I haven't um touch but then oftentimes we're surprised where it's like you then that stuff has been replaced but maybe back in the 90s or early 2000s and it still feels old inside now because when they renovated so now we can be the ones doing the cosmetic rehab because all the that's, that's the best deal ticket, right there yeah all the bigger <laughs> ticket items are already done that's basically the only rehabs we've done for the most part is where they're not a gut rehab it's more lighter lift but in an area where you can get a big pop and rents if you get the the finishes right yeah that's the ideal one right there but yeah, a lot of people, it's like it's like a, the hot potato. They keep passing the hot potato until someone has to deal with it, you know? Someone has to actually deal with the plumbing, deal with the whatever. Yeah, that's what's been happening a lot in the last 10 years. Yeah, I feel like you can see which are the hot potato deals if you open the drawers almost. That's how it's like, like the yeah. cabinet fronts are new and the drawers are like, oh my God, these things are, they yeah. barely work and they already have water damage and, um, yep. but that's the yep. lipstick, you know, on a, I think that's, that's yeah. where our experience doing 400 flips really comes into play because like we just have an eye for that. We could see that like, oh yeah, this is, this is going to need a lot like this. We're going to have to do this. Or like, even if we don't replace this, it's going to be a headache or there's going to be tons of this. There's going to be so many things that it, you lose control over. You know, I heard you at some point, it was on Twitter or a podcast or something. You were um, about to hire somebody or you did that was, they were just going to reach out to owners. Did that um, like direct, did that, did you ever do that? Did that work out? Do you not know what I'm talking um, about at all? <laughs> maybe I did. I don't remember. We did. We we have kind of worked with some people that have called on our behalf, but it hasn't been that successful. Honestly, it's been more just through brokers or like actually a couple of deals that we bought were through like the DMs and, and Twitter too. Yeah. And I don't think we've talked about Twitter. So how has... Uh you're you're on twitter how has what what are you doing on twitter how has that helped your real estate career yeah just kind of talking about what we're doing and just like interacting with people and learning from other people uh, and then yeah we we got a couple deals that way just kind of putting out there what we're looking for and then also i've met some lps that have eventually invested in, in our deals and it's just kind of been a fun place to just see what people are doing and it's like i feel like it's kind of like the the break room in an old school company where everyone's kind of hanging out talk, shooting the shit a little bit about real estate yeah it yeah it is and that's and yeah that's how we met. and all yeah. the drama that might come with that too <laughs> yeah no i know it's been getting funny the last couple of weeks um yeah i haven't the, been paying attention like as soon as it gets weird for a bit, I'll like kind of back off and then I'll jump back in later, you know? Yeah. Some of the anonymous, anonymous accounts that are on there. So it's be like a something guy account, you know? Yeah. The a, guy thing is ridiculous. But some of them, someone figured out some of them are connected. That's the latest drama because they looking at their posts. It's like this person posted this in October. Now that someone, a different guy recycled it in October, in November. And then, you yeah. know, like, and it's like they're, um, so then there, that was the drama, I guess. Um, I saw, 
someone posted that they were like creating guys. There was like a website. Yeah. I went to the website and they were like the guy factory. You could pay. Yeah, you yeah, you saw that too. Yeah, there's and a Twitter like, account and he talks about all the guy accounts he's running. Yeah. Yeah. And people are paying him to run their guy accounts. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can go to uh I think it's at Guy Factory and you could send him a DM and say, I wanna you to run the apartment guy and let's secure it or buy it off of whoever has it. And you write it. Uh, maybe they do like a zoom call a week with like, Hey, here's some ideas. And then the, the, the guy behind the guys runs it. Yeah. It's like a, an asset they're developing. Yeah. I mean, I think that, but that's the issue with it. It's like, I think the, the accounts that do the best are the real people that use their real names and, and people that are doing their own posts because then it's just not as authentic and people could feel that or see that. Well, and if your end goal is to have deals or raise money, it's it seems it's unless you have just a massive account, you know, like some of these guys that have eclipsed 200,000 plus followers. I don't it seems like that's a very hard conversion. Like personally, I don't feel comfortable investing with a anonymous Twitter account like with my own money. Let's say I don't think that's I think that's crazy i mean i'm guessing eventually if you talk to them dms you might find out who they are. you eventually have to find out who they are you, you know? will yes yeah you <laughs> yeah. you do but just the whole conversion is too hard you it know it seems more me. sketch to, yeah like it's already could be sketch giving someone you meet on twitter money let alone someone that initially didn't have their name out there yeah. And so I, yeah, I think, but that's, it's, you know, it's interesting for learning and for meeting people for sure. I mean, that's how we met. And then that's awesome. You've had uh, investors come through from there. We've had people sign up on our, on our investor list from Twitter, but I don't, I don't recall if anyone's in actually invested that then hit the list. That was a Twitter um, person. Yeah. I think we've had like 30 people invest from nice. Twitter at this point, but I yeah, talked great. to 300 people to get there you know? Yeah. I don't, Duh. I don't doubt it. Yeah. I've, I've got more yeah. from LinkedIn so far, um, yeah. that have converted. That's, uh, that's been better for, for me, but obviously number one yeah. is the real world and referrals. Um, yeah. That's our, our, our big LPs are just people we've known along the way. Like actually in my, where I used to live in LA, a, a neighbor that lived one street over at, he would, I didn't know him cause he was a neighbor. I knew him through some random stuff and then realize we live right next to each other. And he's probably one of our largest LPs now. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the best way to do it. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, make, makes a lot of sense. And sometimes too, like if I think, uh, I mean, they, there's so much more of a trust, like you, you know, just kind of too, it's like a real world, you know, relationship versus, mm -hmm. um, cause yeah, some of these, uh, I mean, a few of the people that have invested from LinkedIn, like I've still never met them, which that's fine with me, I guess. But I, yeah. you know, for me investing, I would, I would have, so I offered to me, like, I'm happy to, um, yeah. you know, but then it's they're like, no, it's fine. Trust what you're doing. Listen to <laughs> 20 podcasts. I know what you think like, <laughs> like it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, there you go. but yeah, that's, uh, uh, no, that's, no, that's great. How are you? So then sourcing deals, I mean, maybe to kind of go back to that year, it's really, it's most, it's through brokers then is the brokers, primary. Brokers, some random people off Twitter that have connected me to people that ran into deals. Um, one deal that we bought in Kansas city was through a broker, but the management that was in place was the management that I use on my 14 unit. So we kind of had like an in there and kind of like gave us the roadmap 
of what we had to do to kind of get the most bang for our buck there and kind of just had the confidence level to really like, like we still weren't the highest offer, but the seller felt comfortable with us. I'd been talking to the broker for like three years and had a deal. And finally we did a deal together kind of thing. Nice. Um, and that one is an assumption deal at 3.99% that we did earlier this year. And so that just kind of like the stars align because of, you know, it's like this business is a people business. And if you know, like different players doing different things and you can get different info here and there, you could kind of, you, you kind of use that to your advantage, I guess. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. Is, is there anything at this point where that comes to mind if I'd, ask like something that you you know now having done a bunch of these multifamily deals now that you didn't you didn't know when you had those just the duplexes let's say that's like would be important to share let's say i mean obviously you've learned a ton so it's obvious you've learned yeah, stuff i think but. we kind of touched on it and it, I, and I think i knew the systems would be an issue but i think i didn't realize to what um how how much of an issue it could be and how much how to exactly budget for that and i think we have a just a better clear idea of how to budget for that and just more now we have more an incentive to maybe look into doing heavier value add so we could touch all those things and buy things at the right price and and right now i think i think a lot of times we weren't looking at those heavier value ads because they were pricing in the value add too much into the deal that it was like i'm not going to pay you for the work that i have to do you know exactly and yeah. now hopefully that's changing and i guess we'll we'll see as we start to look at more deals probably next year we hadn't been looking like i said we hadn't been looking at too many deals the last year just because we were focused on operations and the market was weird but i think in 2024 we'll start like digging in more and and i think another benefit with us is like we'll go pretty small and we can go like up to 10 plus million but like we we're more we we can be a little more opportunity opportunistic with deals than like having to hit like a certain like IRR niche thing like we could be more creative and flexible because a lot of the money has come from us or just kind of how we've trained our LP base I guess yeah and you don't have a lot of overhead I would assume if the business is you and my brother brother. that's it right (laughs) there's not there's not a, a a fancy office building and a big team there uh you know no that forces forces you to do a deal I, yeah. I, I hire, hire people on Upwork here and there if I need a little help with something. Um, but yeah, third-party management. But sometimes I feel like we're part of their company because we're so involved. But but yeah, you know, like I yeah. feel like the managers on the site are like my employees in a way. It's weird. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, they really are. I mean, they work. They for are my building. employees, yeah, but yeah. I don't have to deal with the HR part. So that's better. yeah. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Cause I do the same thing. Yeah. Even like for our leasing people, I was like, good. I just, am going to need their cell phones because I'm like, I'm texting the re- regional about some, this is like too inefficient. Like I'll just, just let me talk to them. Like, this is not yeah. like your ad's not showing up right. And I'm looking at it. Like, I just need to talk to the person. Yeah. 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 And we do weekly calls and I have full access to the property management software. So like, I'm like, there's a lot of communication we try also to let them do their job. Like I don't want to like micromanage, but we, we are pretty involved, but it, it, and it shows like, 
uh, the squeaky wheel usually gets the most attention. So there you go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's, so, I mean, in terms of just the, the advice then at this point, it's, you know, budgeting a, a thousand or two per unit on the front end for, I would say, uh, two. On the, I think it depends on the vintage. Like if you're buying something 2000 and newer, maybe you can get away with a thousand, but older, maybe 2000 and then yeah, allocating monthly a certain amount. A lot of lenders are going to make you allocate a certain amount every month, but you might still need more you know yeah you need more that's a, that's yeah. what i've learned and then yeah and then on the operations where even if you're going to hire a third-party manager it's not going to be passive for you the operator you need to still drive the business plan and help set the rents and oh, all, yeah. all that that's Renewals, the, the um, taking care of any larger capex projects like if something gets expensive like hey let's get more bids let's i mean we're super hands-on like i'll uh, if something like we have budgets per line item, if something's off, why is this off? Um, why do we pay, spend two hundred dollars on a on an oven handle? I won't dig in that much. Usually, like that's a little extreme, but but like if something seems off, then I'll dig a little bit more, and I'm like, what what's up with this? You know, like we can dig into every charge and look at every receipt and kind of like really dig into it if we feel like we need to. Not that I want to do that every time because I don't have that much time in my day to just dig into every little thing. Um, but but we have the option to do it if we need to, if something's off. Yeah. And, and I think it is it is important to be digging into the level you're talking about, because, yeah, maybe that's one oven handle. But if if we're going to be spending half the cost of an oven to do repairs, maybe it makes more sense to just be like, hey, it's got a problem. Let's just replace it at that point. It wasn't a new oven. But. I've been in the same boat. Then the answer you hear is, well, we didn't know what was broken. So the guy went there that already cost $95. And at that point, the handle was 95 more. So that's why I'm in for 200 bucks on a handle where, um, cause I've been down that same rabbit hole. So then I try to say like on the front end, if it seems like it's a big piece of broken, just get a new one on, uh, some of those yeah, things. Yeah. Or but, like, do we have to vend that out? Could they have tech done it in house? Like having those conversations, yep. you know? Um, and I think, they know that you're like kind of watching over a lot of things. It kind of makes them better too. Yeah, for sure. Well, great, Jonathan. Yeah, this was really fun. Good conversation where, um, so how do people get in touch with you? They want to reach out. Where should they go? Uh, yeah, my website, jb2investments.com, or you could also find me on Twitter at jb2investments. Um, yeah, those are the awesome. two best ways I would say. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Great job. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.